Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello. Welcome back to After Reality. It's Courtney Robertson here, and I hope everybody is having a great week. Today, I have got a different episode for you guys you know, I love to zig and zag. I love talking about The Bachelor. I'm enjoying the recaps. I love interviewing past contestants. But you know what I also love? True crime. This is something you probably don't know about me. I don't know what the psychology is behind it, but I love watching Dateline 2020, 48 hours, hell, even 60 minutes. That's not true crime. But I grew up watching Dateline in 2020. My parents always watched it. I love Keith Morrison's voice. For whatever reason, it's relaxing to me. So if there's a true crime show out that you guys have watched that I probably haven't seen, please send it my way. I I love them all. I just, it's just fascinating to me. But it's really rare that I watch a show that really sticks with me for a while. And if you've been following along with me, you know that I was fascinated by with the curious case of Natalia Grace. There are two seasons of it out now on HBO Max and ID Channel. And today's guest, I was a little bit intimidated to interview. It's it's definitely different for me, guys. I just she's so she's wicked smart and I'm a massive fan. If you watch true crime or if you followed any, she's covered so many major celebrity trials. We talk about Jody Arias, we talk about Scott Peterson, whether she thinks he's guilty or innocent, you know, there's a whole thing with Scott Peterson right now where they're saying that the Innocence Project is, has taken on his case. So that's all included today as well. But uh, she's a legal analyst and she has worked on the curious case of Natalia Grace. So I wanted to pick her brain and dive a little bit deeper into this story that really stuck with me, this poor child. If you're not familiar with it, you know, I had seen rumblings of the stories throughout the years, but so Natalia was an orphan in Ukraine and she gets adopted in the United States by two different sets of adoptive parents and 
basically the the last adoptive parents that she had uh that that's what this story is about so i don't want to give too many spoilers in case you haven't seen it but definitely go give it a watch if you're interested in in hearing the story and as a mother now i have kids and i'm watching this maybe that's why it really stuck with me um but i keep checking up on her like i just want to make sure she's okay i want to give her a big hug i, I just uh I mean, she gets adopted. Her birth certificate says 2003. I'm going to give you a quick little backstory before we get to today's guest. And her adoptive parents realize pretty quickly because she has a rare form of dwarfism that they're in over their heads. And they start to paint this narrative that she they think she's trying to kill them. And she's got pubic hair. They think she's older than she's you know, what her birth certificate says. And they go start taking her to the doctor. They try to get her into a psych ward. And the level of abuse that you'll see in this docuseries is just heartbreaking. It, I mean, I don't know why these parents have so much home footage of them reprimanding this poor little girl. Um, so long story short, they end up getting her re-aged, they go to the spoiler alert. They go to doctors, and this is before really DNA was a, th- a thing. I'm like, why didn't they just go DNA test her? Like, see really how old she is. And they end up getting her re aged to 22, and they move her into her own apartment. So the whole story is about is she really 22? Can this child live alone? And it's just fascinating. <laughs> it, it really is. So today's guest is Beth Karras. She, like I said, she's covered so many celebrity trials. She's a very, very wicked smart person. I was a little intimidated to chat with her, but I really hope you enjoy this episode with her. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the curious case of Natalia Grace. Today's guest is a TV commentator who worked as a senior reporter with True TV providing commentary on a number of high-profile cases. She was an assistant district attorney in New York City for eight years. She worked nine years in court TV. It's legal analyst Beth Karras from The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, which is a two-part docu-series that i running on Max and ID. Hello, Beth. Hello. Nice to join you, Courtney. One correction. I was with Court TV for 19 years. Not Oh, nine. my gosh. You know what? 19 years. Holy mackerel. Well, hey, please feel free to correct me. This uh, docuseries, I just recapped it at the start of the podcast because obviously, you know, this case, like the back of your hand. Um, but yeah, please feel free to correct me if I get anything wrong age wise, because obviously that's that's a doozy. <laughs> Well, that's actually the critical issue in the Natalia Grace story, isn't it? I don't know what to tell you about her age. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, you guys, I have just been riveted by this. I started watching and I fortunately everything was out so I could just watch it straight through. And I have always been a true crime junkie, but there was something about this story. I mean, I don't know if you would categorize this as true crime, Beth, you would know better than me, but it really touched my heart in a different way. And I I know it has just captivated everybody's hearts. Why do you think that this case in particular has affected people in that way? 
So there were a lot of elements about this case, and I would put it in true crime just because there wasn't a murder. I mean, there was arguably a crime here, right? Prosecutors believe there was a crime, lots of crimes committed. The judge dismissed half of the crimes in the case, right? Anything related to uh, Natalia being a child at the time she was abandoned or neglected. And and it went forward as a um, as a dependent person, which is, in her case, a disabled person, regardless of her age. So, yes, it is crime, not the typical kind of crime story perhaps we see, but what true crime viewers have become very good at is assessing credibility when they're listening to a person tell a story or give testimony, for example, just like a jury. I mean, you have to really be there in person like a jury is. And jurors are are instructed about uh, the, the factors to take into consideration when assessing someone's credibility. It's not just what comes out of their mouth on direct and cross-examination, but it's like how they say it and their demeanor and do they seem evasive and, you know, what their attitude is and 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 and, and when they're speaking, are they defensive? Are they very open and transparent? You know, you, you look at a lot of factors. And so viewers of true crime, and I found this at Court TV, we called our view, our audience, our 13th juror, because yeah. they were actually watching a trial, right, in real time, um, I, I found they were becoming more and more sophisticated in the justice system and, um, like I said, assessing someone's credibility. That's just part of it. That's spilled over now into all the true crime programming that um, we see on ID and elsewhere. So um, this case was very challenging in trying to determine what the truth is. The fact that there was this little person who wasn't quite sure what her age was because she had a changed birth certificate that added 14, I guess it was eight to 22, 14 years to her life. Um, you know, she wasn't sure she was like that age, but she told people she was, I mean, it's like, what, like how, that's a head scratcher. Like, how do you, how do you change a person's age? You know, yeah. people change their sexes. They feel trapped inside the wrong body, but how do you change the year you were born? Yeah, we're born once. You're not born twice. So it was a concept that was hard to like wrap our heads around. And it does happen usually within a few years, not 14 years. So I think just just the various stories swirling around here and trying to get to the truth was really challenging. And, and there are all these characters. They're characters. These, are, these people are not like, like straight out of a uh, you know, typical courtroom, I should say. Right, right. The Barnetts who adopted Natalia and and at that time her birth certificate said she was born in 2003. She was a, a living in a, a Ukrainian orphanage and very quickly which I recapped they kind of realized that they were in over their heads and they weren't maybe getting along with Natalia as as well as maybe they had hoped. Okay, so let me say, first of all, when she was adopted from Ukraine, it, she went first to a New Hampshire family and she was there for a couple of years. And then she went to the Barnetts and the Barnetts um, agreed to adopt her basically with very little information. Mm -hmm. And that is something like in season two, it comes out from one of the little people families that was exploring the possibility of um, adopting her, the DePauls. They had her come and spend a few weeks with them, spend a holiday. They want to make sure she was a good mix for, for them and, and they for her. So that didn't happen with the Barnads. It was just like they went and picked her up. Mm -hmm. Talia says something in the second season, I think about like, you know, I'm not 
just something you can get in the store, you know, but it, yeah. it, it was the transaction was treated that way. Right. There was no easing her into the family. So you are right, though, that I think very early on, they they realized they were in over their heads because I they knew she was a little person. And I I don't know how much they knew, actually, at the outset of her her um I can't pronounce the word but her additional disability that requires a lot of surgeries how much they knew of that and they and and I think once she was with them in their custody the adoption wasn't finalized for several months but she was in their custody they realized wow like she needs a lot of surgery and this isn't covered by insurance she's going to cost a lot of money so she became an albatross around their necks is what it seems like that's yes. what it seems I'm not in their heads I can't tell you for sure well, and I think that's what's like so fascinating. So you're watching the first season and just wait, like you're saying she has pubic hair. These adults are making all these accusations. I will say it was a little tricky because I think that the odd, the odd behavior comes mostly from the father. He's done most of the interviews and he is such a character. He was so over the top. I would love to know what you think about Michael Barnett and his behavior while recording. But I was starting to say like, there was interviews from him from like 2019. And then when the second season airs, it like the story changes and you finally get to hear Natalia speak. Okay. So let me, let me comment on a few things. Michael was our main storyteller in season one. He, he was able to speak or he chose to speak, but everyone else who's in season two could not because oh. at the time we were recording for season one, the, Michael's trial was upcoming and the prosecutor was not about to let Natalia, her main witness, speak to us. Um, and then the prosecutor herself is in season two, the lead detective, the dentist who examined Natalia within a year of moving in or months, actually, but early 2011, moving in with the with the Barnetts. So a lot of people in season two clarify what Michael said about the whole story. Michael was a storyteller. Christine would not participate and everyone else basically couldn't. So we told the story best we could. Now, Michael gave us two sit-down interviews, one in 2019 and one in 2022 before his trial. And then, of course, we were there at his trial. When you see he's, he gets acquitted and he's crying outside the courthouse. And I think at the very end of season one, he sits down with the computer on his lap. You know, and, 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 and that's afterwards. You know, he felt completely vindicated. So there were, there were several interviews with Michael for season one. We flash back to some of them. Which is, help, which is so helpful to weave yeah. this, the story right. together for us. Right. And to show inconsistencies. We showed inconsistencies even within season one because the Trader Point Creamery incident, which is where Natalia supposedly tried to pull Christine into an electric fence. He tells two different versions of that in season one. Mm -hmm. And the prosecutor, this is this is. This was, of course, it aired after the trial, but the prosecutor was tweeting. I mean, I'm, she's on X because uh, I was watching. I was following the the live uh, thread. And she's um, she said, oh, my God, like I he, he gave two different versions there. She you know, she didn't realize that it looked like it was new information to her at that time when she saw it in the um, in the in season one, but of course she wasn't privy to what we had. I mean, she oh. couldn't, that was the person she was prosecuting. She didn't know what we had. Michael ended up taking the stand, but if, if this had aired beforehand, she would have used his two different versions against him on the stand. Ugh, darn it. But it really allows you to kind of, I don't know, draw your own opinion. And for me, I just felt like this poor child. And I'm sure, you know, I have two kids. I have another one on the way. 
Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I want to walk it back a little bit. I just want to commend you, Beth. I've been a fan of yours for years. Like I said, I've grew up watching true crime. I'm an Arizona girl. The Jody Arias trial you covered. It sounds like you were living here in Arizona at some point. But I sure I, was. I mean, I was living downtown in a hotel from um, like J January 1st, because I think her first trial started January 2nd, 2013, from January 1st until um, like early June or late May. So that's five months. And then I went back on my own because it wasn't televised and I was no longer with Court TV for the second trial. And like it started at the end of 2014. I'm, I'm back on my own for a website. And I rented a bungalow and I went to court every day and I blogged live from the courtroom. I did videos at night. I answered questions. I put up all the photos, all the evidence on my site. So people, I gave people as much an experience as possible without a camera in there. But I also covered, I've covered other cases up in Camp, um, Camp Verde. Yeah, a, Camp Verde. Yeah. Remember the sweat lodge? The man, the, the, the oh, sweat lodge guy? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like maybe a month of his trial, but also... What's a Tammy, whatever that she was involved in the kidnapping of that baby? Oh yeah. I, I, I I'm vaguely getting a flash yeah, of that. I was there for that too. Well, so, you have had a remarkable career. I'm curious to ask you what it's like when they bring you in, but you have such a unique skill set that most people don't have. So they bring you in to basically kind of weave the story. I mean, you to me personally are like without you in it, it wouldn't make sense. Like I wouldn't believe what Michael Barnett was saying. Hell, I might not r really believe Natalia on some things, but like you do such a, I just want to commend you. You do a really great job of weaving all the cases that you cover together and also bringing the legal uh, element to it because we're like, well, this she's, you know, credible. Right. So, well, thank you very much for that. I mean, this is what I did at Core TV for almost uh, two decades. And I, I loved the complicated, weird cases because I would come out. This is for the audience that's really following the case, you know, day to day. And I would say, well, that witness who testified yesterday, you, what we just heard it, that, that dovetails with it and here's why. And I would weave it together. And, you know, when you're a trial attorney, you have to learn to speak to the jury, too. And jurors are not lawyers. And so you have to learn to basically educate them. But I kind of like to think of myself as, you know, a teacher. I'm sort of I'm teaching and helping. And I guess I'm trying not to advocate. I'm just giving you, you know, both sides. You make up you're your own. So neutral. You are. And that's a special skill set. I try to be. But thank you. I mean, I, I, I think other people could do this. It's just that um, I get very passionate when I get involved in explaining a case. I really kind of get in my own zone. And so I just, you know, and the producers will say, OK, just talk to us about and I'll just go off and talk and then they'll use some of it. You know, and I just talk with my hands and, you know, I make faces and it's just it's, that's just the way I am. It's, I love it. I've actually been getting emails from producers saying, you know, I need someone to tell a story like you do. Uh, well, I bet you are. That. <laughs> I actually have a, some, a story that's, uh, it's actually a bachelor story. Um, I'd be curious to ask if you've ever watched that show. I feel like that's probably <laughs> not in your wheelhouse, but I, I well, was on I, that show. I got to tell you, see behind me a lot of books. I, I've read a lot of books, not everything behind me, but I read, uh, I read a lot. And so what I try to do is not, I not, I try, I try to set aside time, like, like at least an hour every day to read. Um, and I mainly read nonfiction and history and law and that kind of stuff. So it does curb my television time. I used to tell people I'm on air. I don't know. I'm on air. 
I don't, I don't watch TV. I'm on TV or something like that. I, I, yeah, I no, that makes that total sense. Yeah. But I, but I do like my, um, you know, like True Detective and I do like some of my binge worthy shows. Oh, we just started the new one last night. <laughs> But the kids were not cooperating. So I'm like, okay, I need to focus. This is so juicy. Uh, that is so, and I, I, I see, so they're not going to see the video, but you have a lot of amazing books behind you. So you're not an audible person. You like to hold the book. Um, That is right. I like to hold a book. I do have a lot of digital books and occasionally I listen to a book on tape but that I've missed things because I get, you know, I'm walking around or something. Doing the I'm laundry. Not, <laughs> I will listen to podcasts and you know they're in 30 40 maybe 60 minute chunks and i can do you know and i listen to a lot of legal podcasts you know so about just constitutional law so um you know current events and constitutional law so you know that keeps my attention sometimes i have to rewind but no i, I like to hold a book smell a book go forward backwards even though i do have digital books I like to turn the page, like, so, you know, you know, I just, it's a lost art. I wrote a book as well uh, about my experience on The Bachelor. It, you know, I know you don't know much about me, but uh, it was the New York Times bestseller. It was really hard to pull off the legality of it because when you go on The Bachelor, it's like, you can't talk about the show secrets anywhere in this galaxy. My sister's an attorney. My husband's an attorney, but um, he's a, he works at the AG's office. He's like, oh my God, I have so many questions for her. But anyway, so I was talking about the process for you. Wait when a second. They... You were a contestant? Yes. I won The Bachelor. In... Is that I... your husband? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was 2000, gosh, like around 11, 12, and they made me the villain. And but I won the season. So that was what was really rare. Usually the person that wins the show and is engaged to the guy, mine was a winemaker from Sonoma. Usually they're like the girl next door, but I was the villain. So it was really controversial. Yeah. So I, I wrote a tell all book about The Bachelor. I was really the first person to do it, which felt pretty, pretty good. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in New York. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in New York, but I did a book tour and I just touching on your books and and I love to read. I do more like kind of self-help and spiritual stuff, but uh, my dad's a big history buff, but there's so many great bookstores in New York. And I'm pretty sure that's where you're at is New York City, right? Yes, I'm in Manhattan. When I first moved here, which was decades ago, um, I I bought a book called the, Manhattan, the Guide to Manhattan Bookstores. And it was a thick book and it was a guide to bookstores. Those, most of those bookstores are gone. You know, the, oh, yeah. there are still the strand, yeah, but the big, there's the big ones are here, right? I oh, mean, there's, yeah. But like burn. even here now, we have like maybe one border somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a lost art. I found like a really cute one that I go to and I work. It's called Changing Hands in, in Phoenix, kind of near where you were say saying. It sounds like you were in the art district, but it's just such a, uh, I just don't know. I wonder what's going to happen with books. You know, I'm like, are people still buying them? It seems like everything's gone digital. Back to a paper newspaper. I'm getting the weekend New York Times. Now I want to hold a newspaper. I'm not reading as much new. I'm reading the news that comes to my inbox. I want to choose what to read. I don't want to, right. you know, because I get the newsletters that come to my inbox. I'm actually really happy with the Saturday and Sunday New York Times. So oh. there you go. There's Throw something about it's like a ritual. I just, I was born in the eighties. I grew up getting, hearing the paper hit the pavement and waking up and seeing my parents read the paper. And I always would run in and be like, Ooh, I want to check my, my horoscope. I'm geeking out talking to you. But so you were, so you get brought into a lot of these cases to weave it all together. I was curious about the, what that process is like for you. I mean, it's probably something you can do in your sleep, but that's, it's like a lot 
to so unpack? Is, Did they suppose, send you like a file? I suppose, I mean, I became skilled at it. I love it. I love it. I know when I'm at the saturation point where I can, I can get in front of a camera, whether it's live or tape and just answer any question. So I would get to that point when I was at court TV, they say, you're going to go cover a trial. And I would get as many court files as I could. If there was a book written already about the story, I would often there wouldn't be one. Now with the documentaries I do, there are often books. I might read a book, but, um, I read and learn as much as I can. And then I know, okay, I'm ready. Anything you want. And so it's just a skill. I love it. I love it. I just feel like I come alive, you know, when I get to do this as yeah. opposed to, I don't know, other well, It's like what they say when you do what you love, it doesn't feel like work. And is that true for you? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yes, but I got, I have to, I need the material and I need my quiet time and I need to concentrate and I need to like learn the case. And once I've learned it, because when I'm, when I'm reading about it, things are going through my head. I might be making notes. I'm, I'm picking out inconsistencies or problems or I'm raising questions. And then once I get it all straight, I'm ready to go. And I would do that. I mean, for years I would do that like for 2020, um, that I would prepare for like two straight days and I could sit down for five hours and do an interview. Wow. They put you in the hot seat. That's what they call it on The Bachelor and you just bring it. Wow. Yeah. And so you spend time in Arizona and then we're going to get back to, I have a couple of questions just to, to wrap up about the Natalia Grace. But so you spent time covering the uh, Jody Arias case, which I don't know, I think it was pretty national, but in Arizona, it was a massive case. My husband worked downtown at the time and you were there covering it, pretty na a national case, right? People know it what it is. Absolutely a national okay. case. I remember, I mean, I have a photo when I walked outside the courthouse after the, I think it was the second verdict where it was a hung jury, meaning there wasn't a verdict. I mean, the, for, she was found guilty, I think. Yeah. And then, because uh, I remember um, 
Chamberlain's Mitchell was outside and there were hundreds of people in front of the court, hundreds of people. And I just took this wide shot of this huge crowd and Jane's head sticking up there with a camera crew and she's interviewing people and we're doing a live shot or something. Um, and I and people were coming from all over the country uh, to meet me and take pictures, not, not just me, but other people. too. Oh, but I'm they, sure. It became a destination for vacations that summer because, well, it was the. It was like the spring, that spring, because it ended by the end of May, early June. Um, That's when you want to leave Arizona. <laughs> I I had a I had a uh, a great time in Arizona. I really like Arizona. I've been up to Sedona, been up to Flagstaff, and of oh, course Sedona. the areas around you. You know, talk the, about the, a good the, location to read a book, Sedona. We got married in Sedona. It's just oh, yeah, it's so magical, but. Um, yeah, that case was huge and massive here. My husband was like working at, you know, downtown, he's a prosecutor and he was, he, they were all like, Hey, we, the courthouse is nuts. Like they couldn't go and do their job because it was just that insane. So you were actually there. Oh, I got to go back and watch that whole docu series. And she, uh, can you remind me her life or if she was going to get the death penalty? That was like yeah. the thing about that case that was awesome. And that she took the the stand. Yes, she was on the stand for um, about 18 days, and jurors had about 220 questions. Jurors could ask questions. They would put them on, on a, a piece of paper, put them in a box on the front of the jury rail, and then the judge, every day or after each witness, the judge would um, review the questions with the lawyers at the at the bench uh, and then decide which were proper or not questions. We didn't know which jurors submitted the questions, but I would watch which jurors were putting questions in there. She had over 200 questions to answer, Jody did. Um, this is after a direct across, a recross. And then after all those questions were asked of her, each lawyer, uh, well, each side had an opportunity to ask her a few follow-up questions based on the jurors' questions. So I called it Jody fatigue. I was like, we right. all are suffering from Jody fatigue, enough of Jody areas. Um, and, you know, she said that she fogged out at the time of the actual killing of um, Travis. But when it came time to be sentenced, fast forward a couple of years after her second trial, when she got a life sentence, natural life, uh, she said the fog had lifted and she remembered. So, but um, in Arizona, the law is different in different states that have the death penalty. In Arizona, prosecutors get two shots at getting the death penalty for someone. So for Jody, the jury was hung eight to four, eight for death, four for life in the first trial. So she got a, a, a do-over. And in the second trial, it was 11 to one, 11 for death, one for life. So with two hung juries, mm. it meant that's it. You get no more shots. That's not the case in California, for example, at least last time I looked at the law, you could keep doing it over and over. The reality is prosecutors may not want to spend the resources to keep trying to get someone death. You just give them life without parole, which is what Jody got. But in Georgia, you get one shot. If it's a hung jury, it's a life sentence. So it, it varies state to state. Oh, my gosh. That's really interesting. And I didn't know that the jurors could do a question box. I've never heard of that. Yeah, so that's, that's breaking news state. to me. <laughs> That's that's not every state, but some states allow it. Even some states that allow it, the, the judges, it's discretionary. The judges uh, don't allow it. But here, yeah, they did. And not every every um, witness had questions from the jury, but most of them did or a lot of them did. You have covered some really high profile cases. The Kobe Bryant one. I mean, do, do you have a favorite? I, I just would be curious to ask you if there's one that really you're like, I knocked that out of the park or you really enjoyed working on it. Like 
had a horse in the race, so to speak? Well, I mean, I, I like, case, I don't know if there's any one, but I like cases where there's a lot of forensic evidence, you know, which means it's a circumstantial case. You know, people think that circumstantial cases, you ask your husband about this, he'll agree that circumstantial evidence cases are somehow weaker than cases with direct evidence. And what direct evidence is an eyewitness. It's a confession. A lot of murders don't happen in front of witnesses. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of murderers don't confess. So cases are proven every day across the country on circumstantial evidence. It can be powerful because what are the chances that all these things would happen and, and, and it's not the defendant. Okay, so if there's a lot of forensic and circumstantial evidence, I like that. I mean, one of the cases was in San Diego in 2002, a guy named David Westerfield kidnapped a seven-year-old girl from her bed where she was sleeping. He was the next door neighbor, raped and killed her. Oh. And um, that was... He never confessed um, and um, forensic evidence was still coming in in the middle of the trial because the defense moved the case to trial really fast, hoping all the evidence wouldn't be tested yet. That was a really fascinating case. But I also like Scott Peterson, who killed his pregnant wife and dumped her oh, body in yeah. San Francisco Bay. And there's this whole school of thought out there now that he's you know innocent. He's been railroaded because a yeah, I've seen that. Well, Annie did a series from the family's point of view. They had access to his family. And I just remember making notes about all the errors during that, factual errors during that, based on my attending the trial and what I knew about the trial. So, um, and that's shaping a lot of people's opinion today that he's been railroaded. But I do support the work of the Innocence Network, Innocence Projects all over the country, because mistakes have happened. We do have some innocent people in prison, but Scott Peterson isn't one of them. I agree. I, I completely agree. Going back to the DNA, I, I'm the I love the DNA now, and now I think there's a case here in Arizona, the Canal Killer. I'm pretty sure he just got uh, the death penalty. Uh, there was DNA, and I get really fascinated with like, can they use that in court? I know it's different in every state, but so going back to Natalia Grace, this is a perfect segue. Couldn't they just have done a DNA test like to figure that out before they legally changed her age to 22? Obviously, they had the dental records. She had baby teeth. I mean, the doctor, it was Dr. Riggs. Um, endocrinologist. Yes, mm -hmm. the endocrinologist. Like they used a, something from him to somehow support this theory that she was actually legally 22. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, uh, it was proven later that she was indeed a child. These Parents conv convinced the court that she was actually an adult and moved her into an apartment. And Beth, how old was she? She's like eight, maybe going on nine when they. Correct. When she okay. moved into her first apartment, which was a first floor apartment. So she didn't have any stairs to negotiate. She was eight going on nine. It was June, June or July 2012. She would have, she did turn 10. No, she was eight. She turned nine that September. So it was a few months before she turned nine. And then the second year, because they didn't renew her lease in that, that first apartment, the second year, she was moved an hour away to the town of Lafayette, or city of Lafayette, in the county of Tippecanoe. And there were stairs. Neighborhood. And there were out stairs up to the front door and then 16 more stairs up to her second floor apartment. And at that point, she was 10 going on 11. And um, it was July 2013. And she... Um, 
she had to negotiate all those stairs. Yeah. And it was, it was some people at the, like an adult learning center that she was, she was going to school and that started to like, wait a second. She says she's an adult, but she's talks like a child and she expresses herself in writing or, you know, orally like a child. So that's what got the local authorities there to start really delving into, I mean, her, her case. And, she started living with the man's family, like almost immediately within months. Um, but the charges were not filed against Michael and Christine until 2019 because they did have to do a complete investigation. Interesting. And she was safe. She was safe with the man's. So it's not like yeah. it was like her. I don't I, I mean, I can't explain four years, you know, for for bringing charges, but at least she was with the manses and she wasn't doing those stairs, you know. Well, yeah, and they were feeding her. I mean, imagine being eight and having to, you know, cook for yourself and just and and you have a disability, like even if you are in a single floor apartment, you know, the neighbors all gave interviews. One of the neighbors said it was like living next to Natalia was like being in a you know, a Hitchcock movie. So I mean, there was so much that went into this documentary that really for me. And it just it, like the way it unfolded, it just it really stuck with me. I guess that's the best way for me to put it. Is it really? It still is sticking with me. I've been googling to like check up on her, and I mean, I'm glad that she has these legal guardians now. But as you saw how the show ended, it seems like there's maybe some friction there. Did you watch Natalia Grace back, like as a viewer's perspective? Yeah. I watched you- it when it premiered on ID that night, and I followed. That's when I was following the X Twitter, you know, feed. Uh, uh, yeah, now it's X. As people were seeing it for the first time, uh, and especially the um, the ending. So obviously, there is more to the story. We're following it, and um, you know, we'll see what what we do with it. But um, yeah, it's you know, it hasn't quite been entirely told. <laughs> you know, I, I read that the ma, uh, Christine just put like a 2,600 word uh, Facebook post up basically denying everything. And I don't know, did you see that? I have, I know I saw a post she put up, but not a 2,600 word one, but I did see a post shortly after the premiere. I'll take a look. Um, I didn't uh, read the whole thing. I got the Cliff's notes and to me, she's the villain of this story. Her signature is on the dentist records from 2011. She signed the dentist form when the dentist said Natalia's somewhere between eight and nine or something like that. She signed it. So she can't deny that. I don't know what else she's denying, but she can't deny that. Everything. I mean, it pretty much like gave her a great childhood. She was really loved. She basically saying that she's not the monster of this story, which to me, clearly as a viewer, my take is she's the villain. They maced her. Something that that really bothered me was making her stand against the wall for like all day, hours, and the physical abuse. I just wish the adoption agency or there was something in place. How did nobody see the bruises or the, you know, everybody just kind of really turned their back on this girl and believed Christine especially. So the people who have a reporting requirement, reporting obligation are teachers, for example, but don't forget, Christine pulled her out of school. Oh, that's right. There were no teachers to say, you know, to report what they observed. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of things just went, went wrong for her. Look, the truth is, you know, probably in some of these scenarios, somewhere in between. And, um, but there is corroboration. I mean, Jacob, they're now adult son he corroborated oh we're not gonna remember the hot mics yes. we're not gonna talk about how i pushed her down the <laughs> her stairs down the yeah. 
Right. I mean, Jacob talks about how his mother made him urinate on her bed uh-huh. and on things. I mean, she can't deny certain things that we have corroboration for. Well, she is. And I just think, you know, I know that they can't try Michael again, right? Double jeopardy. That's he over-celebrated when they uh, acquitted him. But Christine, I'm hoping after this has come out, you know, I knew they threw out her trial. Is there any way as a, your legal, obviously you're not representing not, anybody here. I'm just curious. Is there any way that she could. Not based on what I know. Her, the okay. dismissal of the charges against her was with prejudice. So that's like a double jeopardy. You can't bring the charges again, right? With prejudice. And the clock is running. I mean, these incidents all took place a long time ago, more than 10 years ago. So the statute of limitations is expiring. So I don't know. I mean, I I know Natalia has been exploring civil remedies. So, you know, maybe. But this should be a big wake up call to people about, you know, a judge issuing a change in age based on an emergency petition without hearing from the child or a guardian or, or doing your own medical evaluation, you know, not one that's been provided by the family members. And I just think the most frustrating part for me was watching the whole trial and how, I don't know, was Michael really just mugging for the camera? But I mean, he was just full on and he obviously, you know, he got off scot-free. But the thing that was the most frustrating to watch as a viewer was the fact that they couldn't use her real age in the trial that drove me crazy yeah it blows my mind i wonder now if the judge who re-aged her he's retired if he if he knows what has come out if he knows that christina michael did know natalia's age from the endocrinologist dr riggs from the dentist who's in season two he said you can't fake that you can't you can't fake it although I, i did have somebody write to me saying that Somebody with dwarfism might lose their baby teeth later in life, but I, I, that's that wasn't a doctor. That was just a person writing to me, so I have no idea. But the DNA test is is the um has it had the final say, yes. and that DNA test had her age within two years of what she believes it to be. Man, I would love to see you to sit down and do an interview with her. Uh, well, I think we've covered a lot. I, I want everybody to go watch this uh, docu-series. It's a, a, two, a two-parter. I Like I said, I'm still looking them up. It sounds like Natalia is doing great. She started to go fund me to hopefully, I guess she still has to have a lot of surgeries. And she started to go fund me to uh, raise money to buy a house. It looks like she's got a bright future and that she's uh, got a lot of fight in her. And I think that that is for me the resiliency of the story is what really, you know, really, really stuck with me. Yep. I agree. Yeah. It was, it's been, it's been quite a ride. Not like anything I've ever covered before. Very different. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see what happens next. And I so appreciate your time. Ever have dreams about your cases? Well, I, sometimes I do. I probably suffer from a little bit of PTSD because, you know, when I pull back the shower curtain, I'm always afraid there's going to be like a head in the tub or there's going to be somebody at my door. So I've like, I've been around crime for too many years. I, I probably got a little bit of a, but dreaming about maybe sometimes, That's you know, my, after my reading takes me into other, other places, you know, so I can get my mind off a of murder. Got to be an art form to that as well, because 
that you probably have seen a lot working in in New, in New York on in the crime cases like that. So what's next for you? You know, I do documentary development with a different company. I still do on-air things. There's a project um, coming up on a different case um, that I can't talk about right now that mm. I do participate in. And so, um, you know, there'll be there'll be more to more to come. I'm I'm not through being on air yeah. just because the two seasons are over. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to follow along. Where can people find you? Do you do X or Instagram? It says just my name, Beth Karras. There's a picture of me because there are other Beth Karras's out there, but you don't go to the one with my picture. And then Facebook also and Instagram. Instagram on Beth Karras one. Somebody set up a fake Instagram page with my picture yesterday. So uh, because all my friends started emailing me saying are you did you, are you asking me to befriend you i said it's a fake one and i reported it but uh, mine is beth karis with number one on instagram so oh, wow okay well yeah report and block that account beth and thank you so much for your time and like i said there's been a big bachelor scandal going on and there's some big networks shopping it so i actually told the person spearheading it you're gonna need beth karis but it sounds like your plate's full no, I'm there. Let me know. <laughs> oh, it's juicy, Beth. Okay. Well, until next time, this has been After Reality. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Courtney. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. You too. And that's our show. Thanks for stopping by. Huge thanks to Beth Karras. Wow. I just totally geeked out. I mean, she has graced my TV for all the years and she was so lovely. Nothing to be intimidated by at all. I can't wait to see what she does next. I was talking to her about possibly covering, it sounds like uh, Dave Neal is in the cahoots to cover the Clayton scandal of it all. And they are going to need Beth Karras. She could really knock that out of the park, but can't wait to see what happens there. Until next time, I'm your host, Courtney Robertson, and this has been After Reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.